Oh, God of creation, God of all glory, who we love so much because you first loved us. Thank you for this beautiful day where we get to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is our victory, our savior, that in him sin and death were destroyed and we who believe can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We thank you, God, for how much you love us, for how great you are, pray that you would lead and guide our time. May your spirit be our teacher today. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last week, we have looked at the triumphal entry of Christ in Matthew 21, his humble example of service to us in washing the disciples' feet in John 13, and we looked at his crucifixion in Luke 23, where Jesus took our place our mockery, and our punishment on the cross so we could be saved. Today, we celebrate the greatest day in history so far, because he is coming back. The day that Jesus rose from the grave. Because he is risen. He is risen. Right, see, I, see, I caught you off guard that time. Mark chapter 16. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But they said, but he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is risen. That was Mark's fault, not mine. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. 
they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now I know in your notes and up there, it only said through verse 18. And as I was reading, I'm like, why did I leave out the last two verses? So I read them. So it starts in the opening eight verses that after the Sabbath was passed, uh, these two Marys and Salome, they bought spices. They came early in the morning on the first day of the week to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said, who's going to roll away the stone? But when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And he said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. You guys are kind of slacking off a little. I'm just saying. He is not here. See the place where he lay. Go tell his disciples and Peter, which I find very fascinating, that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, and they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone where they were afraid. So the Sabbath had passed. It's early on a Sunday morning. It's one of the reasons we worship on Sunday mornings. It's because it was a Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, there's other reasons, like that's when the early church gathered throughout the book of Acts, and we see that in the epistles as well. But several of the women came out to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. They didn't know who would roll away the stone. And when they arrived, they found their concern was unnecessary. And how often do we worry about things only to get there, find out God's already taken care of it? it happens often. It happens often. So we have the empty tomb. The tomb was empty. The historicity of this fact is confirmed in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew um, it's Matthew 28, sorry. I, I switched the verses. Does it say Matthew 11 in your notes and up there? Yeah, it's supposed to be Matthew 28, 11 through 15. I was a little uh, off when I did that, apparently. Um, but the tomb was empty, and what happened? The soldiers, they come and tell the religious leaders, um, you know that dude you guys killed a couple days ago? They probably they, they were probably speaking Hebrew or Latin or Greek, so they wouldn't have said dude. He's not there. Now, here's the problem. If he hadn't risen from the grave, the religious leaders only had to do one thing. Go and get the body. Right? As it started to spread, as the gospel was preached, as the church began to grow, all they had to do was go, no, look, right here, here's, here he is. All corpsified and dead. But instead, they said, well, all right, here's a bunch of money. Don't say anything. And if anybody asks, tell them that the disciples came and stole him at night. And, you know, if it gets back to your bosses, we'll pay them off too. He didn't. It wasn't fake. If it was fake, they wouldn't have bribed the guards and been willing to bribe officials in order to cover it up. They would only do that if his body was no longer in the tomb. And so Jesus is risen. 
That's right, my family. It's this. The rest of you kind of caught up there, but that's okay. He conquered death. He conquered the grave so that we can now say, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57. I said it on Friday that it's an odd thing as, as followers of Christ that we can celebrate death. We sing uh, one of my favorite hymns, All Fly Away. All fly away, O glory, all fly away. There's more words to that song. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, all fly away. Why can we sing hallelujah about our own death? Well, that's because death has been swallowed up in victory. The victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, and I'll tell you something. I enjoy my life. I have a beautiful wife. I have amazing children. I love my job. I love all of you. I get to live in Gunnison. I mean, come on now. I am personally convinced that for those of us who get to live in Gunnison, God must love us just a little bit more than the rest of the world. I've been other places. I mean, right? Have you guys been other places? I've been in multiple states. I've been in other countries. I've been in other continents. And I walk out my door and I'm like, ah. Just throwing that out there. But I'll tell you what, this life doesn't hold a candle to what's coming. It doesn't hold a candle to what's coming. What did Paul say? For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Because when we die, right, we leave behind this blob of flesh. I don't know about you, but mine hurts more and more every year. Anybody else? I mean, I'm... So the gym at the rec center opened recently. And, and, and so I hadn't lifted weights in a few months. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get back in the gym and I'm going to lift weights. And so I lifted weights the other day and I sat down, we watched a little TV at night and I went to get, I was like, oh! Now, if I, if I don't lift weights, I do that too. But <laughs> I think it was a little louder and a little more pronounced after that. But to live is Christ, to die is gain. There will come a day when we'll see the streets paved with We'll see the river of life flowing from the throne of God. We'll see the trees planted on either side that give fruit in their season for the healing of the nations. There will come the day that just like Mary and the other Mary and Salome and then a little later on the other disciples, there will come the day when we will see him face to face. Face to sight. Prayer to praise. And I tell you what, I love my family. I love being here. But if you wanted me to go home right now, I wouldn't argue with Bill. 
I'd miss you. No, I wouldn't. I'm just saying. When I get there and, and, and I, I feel like I'm going to wrap my arms around him, more importantly, he's going to wrap his arms around me. Frankly, as much as I love you all and, and I want you all to be there too, I'm just really not going to miss y'all. <laughs> I'm going to be home. And I can't wait. So Jesus tells the women, go tell his disciples and Peter. And I like that. I appreciate this distinction as Peter was probably not feeling like he was one of the disciples of Christ after his denial. We know that Jesus restored him in John 21. But I think this is important to us. Because we have all at times, I think, at least I have. I don't know if you're this way. You might be better than me. I hope you are. But I think it all, all of us at some point in time have felt like, even though we're a Christian and we're going to church and we're reading our Bible, or maybe we don't feel like we're really followers of Christ. Maybe we let somebody down, or we sinned and we messed up so badly that we think, think that God cannot forgive us. We just, we just go off the rails, as it were. Oh, he's, he's not going to let me come back this time. He's not going to forgive me this time. He's not going to give me, right? Oh, everybody deserves a second chance. People, I am so far beyond the second chance. I mean, I know God can count that high, and he probably knows that number, and I, don't, I hope he never tells me what it is, but I'm on my 12,837 chance. Roughly, give or take. Well, let's see how many days have I been alive. Right? That would probably be the number... Um, but I want you to know that while repentance is necessary, and we know Peter repented, he went out and wept bitterly the moment he denied his Lord. So repentance is necessary, but a broken and contrite heart, God will never turn away. Psalm 51, 17. And so I don't know where you are today. But I know that when anyone turns from their sins and turns to Jesus Christ, that he will receive you. So we pick up in verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. So Mark now details for us. Details was not supposed to be drawn out that way. Um, Mark now details for us appearances of Jesus to his followers after his resurrection. The historical fact of Jesus' appearance, according to 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to over 500 people at once, who at the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians, many of them were still alive. And I like that. You ever, you ever been in that place where you, you tell somebody something like, oh, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't, oh, really? Well, go ask so-and-so. They were there, right? So they go ask so-and-so, and so-and-so is like, no, that dude's a liar. 
But, or they say, no, yeah, no, I saw that. That's what happened. Why would Paul say there's 500 people you can go talk to? Go ask any one of them. They all saw him. Why would he do that if they hadn't seen him? He's taking a big chance there. This is wonderful proof of the historical fact of Jesus' resurrection. Another one appears right in this passage, that the first person he appeared to was Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Now, when he cast out those seven demons, we don't know. We don't get that account in Scripture, but at some point in time he had. Now, if the disciples had fabricated Jesus' resurrection, they would never have said that he appeared to a woman first. This is not meant to insult any of our ladies here today. But in first century Judea, and both under Jewish and Roman law, a woman's testimony was inadmissible in court. So my wife could have been there. I saw that guy punch my husband in the face. That's why my husband you know, punched him back, or whatever it was. And the judge would look at her and say, I don't care, get out. Now, if they had made it up, they would have never said that a woman saw him first. Because that wasn't even admissible in court. The only thing that makes sense that they would say he appeared to a woman first is if he actually appeared to a woman first, and he did. So she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, and I do find that uh, great, it's a great little statement because we don't really know what happened with the disciples, at least much of what happened between his death and burial and three days later at his resurrection. We're not told. We can guess. But Mark at least tells us they were mourning and weeping. And you know, how many times did Jesus tell them he was going to rise again? And how many times did they miss it clearly? You know what they should have been doing? And I can say this, 2,000 years later, I wasn't there. You know, I, hindsight is twenty twenty. But what they should have been doing is, remember when he said that on the third day he was going to rise again? Man, Sunday's going to be cool. That's what they should have done. Instead, they mourned and wept. When they heard that he was alive, that he had been seen by Mary, they didn't believe it. Not only would they not believe her testimony, they also weren't believing Jesus himself because, as I just said, he mentioned or predicted his resurrection multiple times. Matthew 20, 19, Mark 10, 34, Luke 18, 33. And that doesn't even include all of the Old Testament prophecy they were ignoring uh, that predicted his resurrection. Places like Psalm 16, 10. They weren't believing the word of God that they had. They weren't believing the testimony of Jesus who told them they were going to rise again. Now Mary shows up and says, guys, 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 he is risen. He is risen. I set that one up. That's fair. And they looked at her and they went, nah. What? Later on, it says that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest. They didn't believe them either in verse 12 and 13. 
That's the, the account of the two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. We talked about that at men's breakfast yesterday. It is one of my favorite scenes from after the resurrection. They're walking along the way. Jesus comes up. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Are you the only person who hasn't been in Jerusalem? We were following this Jesus guy. They, we thought he was the prophet Moses spoke about, and they crucified him. And now it's three days later, and some of those crazy women, I didn't say crazy, I added that That's in the Message Bible. Some of those crazy women are telling us he's alive. Jesus looks at them and goes, oh, slow of heart and mind. Should you not believe all that the prophets spoke? And it says, beginning with Moses, so that would take us all the way back to the book of Genesis, it said he expounded all the scriptures that spoke of himself. I said this at men's breakfast yesterday, that when I, when I get to heaven and I have my, I don't know how it's going to work, but I just hope I, all right, Jesus, I want to hear that stuff. I want to hear you tell me about all the Old Testament scriptures that talk about you. So they get to the town, and he acts like he's going to go, oh, come on, come on, come on. Have dinner with us. It's late. He goes, okay. So he goes, and he sits down, and he goes, I just, that's how I see things. You can laugh at me. <laughs> so, so he goes and has dinner, and he blesses the bread, which would have been very uncommon, usually the owner of the house would. And it said, in the breaking of bread, they recognized him. But you have to ask why. Well, he would have worn long sleeves. Think Jedi robe. I know, I'm a, I'm a nerd. That's Star Wars, Roy. Right? Now what happens if you're wearing long sleeves, you're wearing a robe, and you put your hands up? Your sleeves fall down. And he would have lifted the bread over his head to break it and bless it. And they would have seen the nail prints, the scars. And at that moment, their eyes and they run back to Jerusalem, seven miles, seven miles, we have, we have a math teacher here, I'm sorry, seven miles, and they run back to the disciples and they say, guess what, guess what, we just went for a walk with Jesus, the Bible, he told, taught us about the Old Testament, he broke the bread, we saw the nails, it's him, he's alive, and what did the disciples do? Nah. They didn't believe them either, it says in verse 13. So then he, he shows up to the rest. In verse 14, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So he rebuked them. The word in Greek means to scold or reprimand. He rebuked their unbelief, their lack of faith. And he rebuked the hardness of their heart or their stubbornness. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen and came to share it with them. And so we are here this morning to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us not lack in faith. Jesus told Thomas, 
He said, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. Now, I don't know about you. I haven't seen him face to face. Not yet. I mean, there's a picture in the hallway. Pretty sure that's not what he looked like. But still, I haven't seen him. Not, not, I haven't seen him yet. But I believe. I would stake my life, my family, my eternity on the fact that he rose from the dead. So let us not lack in faith. Let's not risk being scolded by God because of our stubbornness. There's going to come a day where everyone will stand before him. We will either stand before the Bema seat of Christ for our reward, or we will stand before the great white throne judgment of God. Now, for those of us who believe in Christ, we will never face the judgment of God. And praise him for that, because I deserve it. I'm pretty sure you do too. But at least I do, at the very least. I will never stand before that throne where my sin will be trotted out and I will be condemned for all eternity because of it. Because I am covered by the blood of Christ. So instead of being stubborn and risk that scolding, instead of lacking faith, let each of us believe that he is risen from the grave. Verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So before his ascension, which is what the last couple of verses talk about, Jesus commissions his disciples, that includes you and I, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He promises that believing the gospel will lead to salvation, rejection of the gospel will lead to condemnation, and he promises that his power in us and protection over us will go with us. What a beautiful promise. Now, some people really get bent out of shape about this verse in Mark because it says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Oh, see, you've got to be baptized to be saved. No, you don't. Because what does the next verse say? Or the next half of that verse? The next half of that verse says he who does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't say he who does not believe and is not baptized. Now, if it had said that, you might have a different case, but it doesn't say that. I have, a, I have a, a very long Charles Spurgeon quote. It'll be up there in a second. I think it's in your notes. Oh, I would that the church could hear the Savior addressing these words to her now. For the words of Christ are living words, not having power in them yesterday alone, but today also. The injunctions of the Savior are perpetual, 
in their obligations. They are not binding upon merely apostles, but upon us also, and upon every Christian does this yoke fall. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We are not exempt today from the service of the first followers of the Lamb. Our marching orders are the same as theirs. And our captain requires from us obedience as prompt and perfect as from them. Oh, that his message may not fall upon deaf ears or be heard by uninterested souls. My brothers and sisters, we live in a dark place. I know the sun's shining, but spiritually, this is a rough place to be. Me and, and, and several other pastor friends, we did the math. Roughly, 4% of the people in our county go to church. That doesn't even mean they're Christian. They just go to church. That number drops to 2% within the city of Dunwich. 15,000 people in this county. The harvest is great. And the, Jesus told us, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here we are. Our job is to go. And some people get this idea, well, the Great Commission means going on a mission trip. Africa, or starting a ministry, or, or being a pastor, or want to know what go means? You ready? All the time I spent in school, all the time I've spent searching out words in the Greek, which isn't that much. Want to know what go means? Go! Go! Maybe it means go across the street. Maybe it means, and you guys always know, I got a heart for those poor people who work at Walmart because I've worked at Walmart. I know what that's like. Maybe it means go to Walmart and love on the person who helps you get the DVD out of the case or whatever it is you need. It reminds you where the apple juice is at. Go. Go to the people at your work. Go to your family. Go to the people that you meet when you're shopping around town or when you go out to eat. Go. Maybe it means picking up a phone and just texting encouragement to somebody you know is having a difficult time. Or calling them and asking them how you can pray for them. Go. Well, but I don't know the Bible as well. I don't care. Jesus didn't say, go get a seminary degree and then go into all the world. He didn't say that. Oh, but, but I get nervous and I'm shy. Okay. It still says go. Right? Some people, they got the soapbox. They got the bullhorn. And they're on the corner. You'll never see me do that. That's not me. Right? That's just, that's just not me. God calls you to do that. You let me know, and I will stay home. 
But maybe it's just handing an invitation to somebody you meet, or a tract, or go can mean a thousand different things. The important thing is that we go. This is the gospel, my brothers and sisters. Jesus was born sinless of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He lived a sinless, perfect life in obedience to the Father and as an example to us. Then he died as the substitute for our sins and he rose again the third day. When we turn from our sin and believe in him, he promises us salvation. What a glorious gospel. What glorious truth. What wonderful news it is. Jesus is risen. All right, that didn't count because it was supposed to be he is risen. <coughs> yeah, there you go. Threw you off that time. But when we believe in him, we will be saved. Now, I could be done right there, but that wouldn't be any fun. What does the resurrection mean to us? Let's bring it home and make it personal. Number one, it means we will be resurrected. Jesus' resurrection assures us of our future resurrection. Since Jesus both died and rose again, we shall be raised like him. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have been fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That's number one. Number two, we will have glorified bodies. Our new glorified bodies will be in some degree like Jesus after his resurrection. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, you know, we don't know what we will be, but we know we will be like him. To what extent, we can't be certain. Yet, if our glorified bodies were to be totally like his, it would mean several things. One, we would be clearly recognizable. When they saw Jesus, they knew it was him. We would not be limited by the normal constraints of life. Right? He was in Emmaus, broke the bread, and then he was gone. He could get into rooms with locked doors. Personally, I hope we can fly. I think that'd be cool. Right? We don't become angels. That's, that's, they're different. But I'm still kind of thinking, like, I just, I just want to fly. Right? I said, Superman it. White cape? Probably not. I don't need a cape, but no capes. We would still be touchable, right? They could touch him. He had a body. He wasn't some disembodied spirit. Remember on the beach? They all went fishing. Guys, come back. Catch anything? Right, and they had fish. What did he do? He ate. Most of you have heard my theory about the chicken fried steak tree in heaven. Planted by a river of pepper grapes where I will sit with Jesus and he'll give me that study that he gave on the road to Emmaus. He just plucked the chicken fried steak off the tree. It'll be hot. I don't know how. It doesn't matter. He's God. He can do anything. 
and, and I'll, I'll dip it in the, in the gravy and just gnaw on it while he teaches me. But we, we still get to eat in heaven. It might not mean a chicken fried steak tree. As I often tell people, I can't prove that'll be there. You can't prove it won't. But number three, his resurrection means we will be judged. Jesus' resurrection is proof of a future judgment. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Acts 17.31 says this. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we as followers of Christ will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, which is a seat of judgment for reward. Those who don't know Christ will appear before the great white throne judgment, where they will be judged for their condemnation. We've all seen people commit wrongs against one another in this life. We've done it even. We're forgiven. But it reminds us that God's justice will ultimately prevail. Number four, we can live Christ-like lives. Jesus' resurrection gives us power to live the Christian life. And if you are trying to do it apart from his power, like I've done way too many times, you will find out, just like I have, that it doesn't work. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Number five, we can have hope. I don't know about you, but has anybody looked outside over the last couple of years? I mean, not right there, but seen the news, paid attention to politics, been on Facebook or whatever, going crazy. And it would be easy to despair. It would be easy to want to give up. But we have hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection gives us hope. Because there's more than this. So much more. And finally, we will have victory. Throughout our lives, we will all experience victories and defeats, success and failure, over and 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 over again. We all will. But these are temporary. And in Christ, we will ultimately have victory for all eternity. I read this verse at the beginning. I'm going to read it again. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 through 57. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord. I don't know about you. I'm a pretty competitive person. Thanks, John. John knows. He plays pickleball with me. He knows how competitive I can be. I love to win. Do I always win? Not always. But I love to win. One other 
one of the best things about being a follower of Christ? I've already won. And nobody can take it away. So I'm going to leave you with this question. I think it's up there. And you can contemplate this. Maybe talk about it with one another. If you want to, you can talk about it with me. But what does the resurrection mean to you? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that it was demonstrated on the cross as Jesus died for us sinners. But I thank you, Father, that this, it doesn't end there. It was never going to end there. It never will end there. Because he rose from the grave. And because of his resurrection, we have hope, we have life, we have victory. And we know that you're with us and always will be. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. I know I look forward to the day when I get to tell you that in person. Until then, be glorified in all that we do here. In Jesus' name, amen.